0: That plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code
2: ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very
1: famous. (laughs) Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the BoJack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, BoJack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distant Adam Nicholas. And Michael, it's nice
2: to be back. We've got one in the locker, in the locker, in the bag already. (laughs) I'm going to get the next one in the locker right there with it. But as always, you can call us the front of the plane because we our all business to begin with, and we've got the combination to that logger that you need. If you like this podcast or if you like us, you can follow this podcast on social media, at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. By all means, do give us a follow. Please do talk to us, interact with us, talk yourself, Horse, about a talking horse, however you see fit. And while you're there, why not follow your hosts as well? You can follow me on Twitter, at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hanford,
1: at michael hamphlet uh you can get this podcast on apple podcasts or you can listen on spotify uh we encourage you to subscribe follow do all that good stuff you can also catch us on ACAS where you can subscribe on amazon music on all them sort of streaming services these days podcast Horseman, you'll find us there and indeed on that ad, podcast horseman twitter link and um, we'll put the Acast link up embedded in one of the tweets on a friday morning every week like clockwork that talking horse podcast will be there for you and we would love you to leave us feedback Uh, We are just the same down in the muck as every other podcast that you listen to, begging for your affection, begging for your love, and more importantly than that, begging for your engagement. If you leave us a five-star review with a few words in there, could be nasty, could be nice, could be anything you like. Uh, But A, you'll get read out on this show, and B, you'll pump us up some charts, you'll make us panic the uh, Sopranos and Wire podcasts of this world, which we'd love to see that horse silhouette head getting in amongst it like a pie oh my. Um, Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do, and as we do every week, we'll be inducting somebody new into our Hollywood talk of fame. That is one of those feedbacks, uh, we'll read them out at the end of the show, you'll get a star on one of our socials uh, with your name on it, all personalised, all looking very nice, and you'd help the podcast out too. Another one of them coming later at the end of this episode.
2: Yes, indeed. Just to remind you there, we don't want your money, we just want your love. That's all we want. <laughs> we, all we want right now is a bit of love, because I can't spend the money, but I can use the love during this time. That's all good. Anyway, let's not mess about any longer. Let's get into this week's episode, shall we? This is season four. This is episode 10, and it is called Loving That Cali Lifestyle. Oh, God, I would love to be loving that Cali Lifestyle right now, my God. <laughs> Diane leaks damaging information on Jessica Beale. Todd's clown dentist business hits a snag, and Princess Carolyn finds hope in an unlikely place, Michael. I was going to say found love in a hopeless place, (laughs) but this is a completely different version of that.
1: Yeah. Interesting old synopsis, uh, because it covers nothing what we're about to talk about. Uh, Netflix original series that normally greets us at the start of Every BoJack rattles Um, the text sort of goes all blurry and weird and that's what welcomes us into the episode Um, It's all shaky and it cuts to Hollyhock experiencing the very same sensation. Hollyhock, Bojack, Beatrice and Tina the Care Bear are playing Uno in Bojack's house. Um, Bojack is showboating obnoxiously, taking the moment rather than just taking his turn, deciding what he's going to do, trying to call everybody's double bluffs, all that sort of thing, the worst people you want to play games with. Um, But Hollyhock's in a really bad way. Um, She's unable to focus and pay attention to any of it. Um, She goes to get some water just to try and clear her head, but drops the glass, which smashes everywhere, including uh, smashing upwards and cutting her across the head. She uh, she gets a a tiny bit gash there across her head. So she goes into the bathroom where she tries to sort herself out. um, And she knocks over a ton of pills uh, in bottles that we can't quite make out. um, Some of which look prescriptions, some of which look dangerously otherwise, shall we say. But anyway, all the pills go scattered and flying. Um, and it's at this point uh, she gets a text from something that we see on the screen as Papa Otto, one of of course her many fathers, uh, asking how she's doing. She just sort of barely manages to take a nice picture of herself almost by fluke with the camera on selfie mode before collapsing to the floor and um, she hits the deck at some rate and the phone sort of like splatters to one side where we just see her managing to having cobbled the caption, loving that Cali lifestyle. Of course, the, uh, the title of this episode as she is on the deck looking pretty bleak. Anything but loving that Cali lifestyle. A quick word on that now, I think, because it was short and sour, and we're not going to get back to it for a little while. Um, A harsh entry point into the BoJack Hollyhock arc of this episode.
2: I mean, this baffled me, Michael, because I can't believe for a second that people would post on social media things that were not reflective of their <laughs> current situation or life status. I can't imagine that ever happening in this very real world. Never mind the fake superficial world of Hollywood. Uh yeah, this is not a, not a pleasant <laughs> over into this episode, was it? Hollyhock, I think it's fair to say it. we've had a thing the breaks have been slowed down a little bit on Hollyhock since we had the stupid piece of shit episode that Hollyhock is in. Um mm. and this is the first time we see her back properly and she does not seem in a good way.
1: No, um, it's again, it's something that we'll, we'll come back to later on in the episode. But again, that like it's as you say, it's the first time that we've really interacted with her in a little while. And it's already troubling what might have become of her as a result of interactions with Bojack or indeed anybody in Bojack's orbit. But more on that a little bit later. The episode starts proper um, with just really hectic debate, poll election footage, uh, the back and forth and the cut and thrust of the, of course, the political race between Woodchuck Kutchuk Berkowitz and Jessica Beale. Uh, who right now is uh, in the lead because she's leaning on his lobster hands as a stick to beat him with? Of course, the hands that we always must reiterate he had grafted on because he lost his own ones. Saving the entire celebrity, uh, like the entire celebrity cabal of Hollywood, were pretty much saved by Woodchuck himself when he dug underneath when uh, Mr. Peanutbutter's house collapsed. Um, but yes, these are now damaging um people <laughs> tying this to his um, policies. Uh, and it's clearly more important than anything else he can say or do in this electoral race. So he gets new hands. He's absolutely <laughs> over the moon with these hands. The poles and the pendulums immediately swing back his way. Um, there's a great point where he catches a baby during one of those little electoral rollouts where they go out to greet the public, which results in Jessica Beale getting bad press for not catching a baby. Uh, <laughs> At which point, Katrina um, swings into action. She does some digging, zooms and enhances on this picture of him and manages to work out from a thumbprint that the hands that he's had grafted onto him belong <laughs> to a paedophile murderer. And just to make that clear, as Tom Gumbo Jumbo does, well, isn't that a good thing? She, Jessica Beale then makes it clear, no, paedophile slash murderer, not paedophile dash murderer. He did both things, <laughs> which of course means that things swing back. Jessica Beale's way... The court of a public opinion is one that is indeed not worth courting. Meanwhile, at Girl Crush, um Stefani Stilton uh, is looking for a few more clicks than she's been getting from Diane lately, uh, asking her what she's working on, maybe not exactly trusting her to get things done in the day. Don't know why. Um, Diane uh, agrees to go and meet with Jessica Beale. Um, for an article on her because she's like a, a talking point at the moment she's in the lead in this political race obviously this again relates to that kind of through line that we've had with Stefani and Diane for a while that Diane quite, uh, Stefani quite likes to push Diane in the direction opposed to the things her husband does um, but anyway yes they sit down to have dinner um, Jessica Beale scoffs at Diane's right in having absolutely no impact on the election um but diane very literally only wants to know what she smells like that's the, task <laughs> the <theme> of her <laughs> article. she's wearing something called b-list <laughs> no, sorry i've said that wrong b-list uh to that, sorry, put, like, b-list no 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 b-list 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 it's not oh. she's not a b-list celebrity it's the b-list possible scent it's a tremendous gag that they make a big deal of as of course they do because it's she notes that uh, Mr. Peanut Butter he used to like it. That's a bit of a low blow. And then points out as well that he also used to love a magic eye poster. Um, he used to make a stare at it for hours and hours and hours. Um, and she noted how something so stupid could have so much power. Diane empathizes um, until. We have a very harsh cut to the news of Tom Gumbo Jumbo reporting that Jessica Beale turned down avocado. If you watch the scene again, Jessica Beale sends back um, some avocado that she doesn't like and Diane realises she's gotten her smoking gun. Um, that story, more than Jessica Beale's smell or indeed anything else in the topic of their conversation, has yet again sent the political pendulum wildly swinging back in Woodchuck's favour. Um, he's very pragmatic about it, despite the hands thing no longer being the source of conversation. Um, they're all at the campaign office. Diane is cynically quite thrilled with herself and looking for a bit of credit <laughs> for being the one to break the story. But Woodchuck's reserved. He notes that the election isn't over for another week and this is far from over. We get the... One week later, graphic yeah. to flash that. Actually, it is over. And Woodchuck won, and he celebrates. This through line that has lasted the entire season four is done and dusted with a cutaway gag that is to do with avocado. This was all completely meaningless. There's just a tremendous moment here between them, um, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, where they're both celebrating, as Peanut Butter calls it, their equal contributions to the campaign, which Diane can't let go. She notes that it was her article that got him elected and his actions that called for the election in the first place. Mr. Peanutbutter no sells this completely and doesn't get the point at all. Um, At this point, we get that one week earlier graphic. So time is going to jump around in this one. Feels a good point for us to take some time and take a stop. What do we make of the conclusion to this farcically brilliant election that has been with us since episode one, since a ski jump, this has been with us. And now here we are.
2: The amount of twists and turns this has taken already, if you think about where we started, it was Peanut Butter against Woodchuck. Mm-hmm. That's where this all started, to the point where now Peanut Butter, who technically, not Peanut Butter, Woodchuck, technically, in quotations, saved everybody by digging <laughs> down at the ground, including Jessica Beale, we should point out, yes. who was here, who then turned on him, along with the rest, and then had him strung up on that air-ceiling uh, fan, which you point out, <laughs> all of this, everything that has happened in this season comes to a hilarious conclusion, and literally, as you say, that one-week-later gag, this was amazing. This was as good for me as, um, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen No Country for <laughs> Old Men. There's a moment in that film where a character dies off-screen, and... It was like so uncharacteristic of it. it like mm-hmm. we should have technically seen this thing happen, and it just happens. This is the same thing, but it actually works really well. I love the way this they do this because, and as well the fact that as we have seen to establish now, this whole the, the jumping of one week is going to become a pattern throughout the episode. Yeah. The jumping forward, the jumping backward. to just be like, oh, it's going to be going on for a long time. This one week it's that <laughs> that literally over in a week's time. Amazing, yeah. really, really well. The typical stuff from uh, from RBW and the gang. And the whole time you were talking there, I was just thinking how wonderful it would have been if Woodchuck wasn't a beaver, although we would lose all the Woodchuck jokes. If he'd been a mole, right? If he had been a mole in this whole thing, then he could have been Hans Moleman. Oh. And what wouldn't that have been wonderful? I mean, we would have lost all the Woodchuck jokes, of course, but still.
1: 51 episodes, and we've started like inserting our own horsing around jokes into these episodes. <laughs> we've gone mad with power. Um, yeah, I've got
2: bored now of doing their jokes. I'm gonna start trying to put my jokes in now. It's just
1: the uh, no country for old men uh comparison is apt because this just put a bullet in a plot off screen, didn't it? Like no,
2: could, no country for more men. It's
1: it's just Again, like this was never framed as anything more than meaningless farce, and they've paid it off as such. That's sort of inspired in and of itself, and also the
2: fact that they have literally used ten episodes of their show. Like <laughs> the spit in the face this is of every formula where people say they hate shows where you start at the beginning and by the time you're finished, nothing has changed. Well, mm. we've just gone through ten episodes, and well, yes, technically something has changed, and the woodchuck is officially back to being where he should be. He was already headed there at the start. Like, do you know what I mean? We've taken the longest route around possible to get here. Yeah, it's amazing. unbelievable. some might say, Michael.
1: <laughs> Very good. I would, you know, and you said about nothing changed. I would be remiss if I didn't compliment Woodchuck's delivery of, I got hands, baby. He's so thrilled to get shot of these lobster claws. <laughs> A lovely moment of light in an episode that is eventually, of course, it's going to land in shade. Um, but yes, so we get the one week earlier title card. Um where Todd is meeting with uh, Yolanda Buenaventura of the Better Business Bureau. Um, Todd's business has been getting complaints from parents because the clowns from the clown dentists aren't qualified (laughs) dentists. quite simple. Uh, They've got no medical license. Um, Todd thinks he's figured this out. They're just going to lean into the entertainment aspect instead. He, and again, this is very um, Saved by the Bell, very Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, very 20-minute sitcom, buys himself one week... To put on a show that will apparently convince somebody from the Better Business Bureau to keep his dentist business alive. She says yes, because this show's fantastic. fantastic. Um, more on that in a second. We're going to go to Princess Carolyn's flat, where, of course, the clown dentists are still residing. And the training around her, uh, day drinking and generally blowing off all her responsibilities. Of course, at the end of last episode, we saw her. Uh, back on the source in quite a big way, um, commiserating um, the loss of her child with Ralphie, and indeed the end of her relationship with Ralph and the firing of Judah. It all kind of came crashing down for Princess Carolyn a bit in the last episode. So she's burned off all her work responsibilities, Um, but her phone buzzes and she shouts for Judah, forgetting that she fired him. It seems like he's the only link from all those things that were lost an episode ago that is still kind of close to her heart. Um, Todd, in the meantime, picks up that she has a meeting um, with a writer called Flip Vicker. So she kind of manages to pull herself together while Todd gets on with trying to get these clowns ready for this big showcase in a week's time. Um We're in Princess Carolyn's office at this point point, um, and he pitches a detective series that she initially plies off until she sees the name. He's called it Filbert, which of course was the name that her and Ralph had kind of given to their unborn child. Um, this inspires her immediately to take it forward, to try and get it made. And, regrettably, still drunk, asks Todd to set up a meeting with Lenny Turtletop. He <laughs> he sort of farcically, again, enlists the help of his clown dentist to do this. He decides to bring his two problems together, as Todd often does in Bodak Horsman, by getting them to practice and train, I guess, for the showcase, by coming up with a daft way to sneak Princess Carolyn into the studios to meet with Lenny.
2: I would like to also point out, at this point, they have managed to become quite something in Todd's eyes. They're not just clowns anymore, Michael. They're not just dentists. They are clentists.
1: They are clentists. He's, he's done the portmanteau, <laughs> finally. It's taken several lessons <laughs> um but yes so they've all you're just seeing various um like clowns and dentists doing backflips and sneaking in boxes it leads to a giant set piece gag where princess caroline is airlifted into a seat at a table with lenny turtletop that doesn't even really know that he's to meet with her right about now um he responds to her in much the same way that she responded to the original pitch he's kind of indifferent about another crying procedural being on the telly um, and she's kind of struggling to sell it a little bit, not least because Turtle Top can smell the booze on it. Um, but she says it's not booze. It's Sealist, uh, which, of course, is the uh, aroma made by Seal, who, of course, was the killer and kiss from a rose singer. Huge star. So she powers through and um, she pitches in Philbert. Uh, Turtle Top decides that it might work. Um, as a, a launch show for a website that are looking to get into the streaming world called whattimeisitrightnow.com. <laughs> um, they're looking for, and this is so funny because it's we're very aware now of um, how streaming services work, and this was three or four years ago, and I, but they were far from a new thing, but we've seen kind of in broad daylight now how these services operate. They look to go in with a big launch title or they look to kind of get you on the hook for six months to a year straight away with this big sweeping gesture it is fantastic that hollywood's service is a website that tells you what the time is and it's them that are going to be breaking into this world the worlds of the hbo's and the netflix and the disney pluses and the peacocks is now going to be dominated by what time is it right now.com. um so there's kind of a, a passing interest there because obviously they'll get a substantial rights fee for it. So it kind of pays for itself. Turtletop is still not interested without a star. Um, he goes to leave and uh, Princess Carolyn passes out at the table drunk. But again, Todd's got his Clintists back in action. Um, they find a way to they create this ridiculous diversion that stops him leaving. And in the meantime, some of the other Clintists spring Princess Carolyn back into life. So they're kind of in the... Um, in the outside lot of the studio at this point, and she's kind of got well, like one last opportunity to get a pitch through. Um, as she puts it, that ultimately Philbert is her baby. To which he replies, "Well, without a start, your baby's dead." Um, but that results in her going through a list of kind of rolodex of names until she almost, in spite of herself, lands on the name Bojack Horseman. She tries desperately to move on from having said it. It's as if she's trying to force those words back into her mouth and get other similar names out instead. Uh, But Lenny is very interested in using Bojack for it. Um, Great moment. We haven't had one of these for a little while in the season. Great moment of, um, obviously, men in Hollywood getting to do whatever they want. Lenny goes off on this big diatribe of how Bojack, of course, screwed him over at one point, went off the map for ages, did one episode of a horrendous reality show about butts that ended in turmoil and scandal. And he refers to all that as having heat. All of this is suddenly a positive, for a male, like, star, no. a male film star. Like, it's its actually done him a favour that he's been a constant cup for the last several months of his life. Um, and while he's sort of interested, and while he's on the hook now, he makes a point to patronise her too. He says, quote, Princess Carolyn, go easy on the sauce. Sloppy don't suit you. So now she's got to go off taking that feedback while also having to get Bojack on the hook for that. Um, Todd and the Clowns toast how well all of that went from a nearby dumpster. And we get, another one week, we get another one week later graphic at that point. So, again, it feels like a nice point for us to stop and, uh, and reflect on things for Princess Carolyn. And indeed, yet again, Hollywood gets its talons back into BoJack. And yet again, BoJack doesn't really deserve it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this was an, another reinforcement, wasn't it, of men in Hollywood uh, basically getting away with murder and getting to do whatever they want. And despite the fact that Princess Carolyn is the cat in this scenario, BoJack is the one, and Lenny, who seem to be landing on their feet once again, mm. and I mean Lenny Turtle Man throughout this show has—he's like the the real embodiment, isn't he, of how bad this all is? Like, yeah, just the worst. And I mean, I know it's you know product of your environment, or, your, or is your environment a product of you? But it's just—he's just the worst. He's the absolute worst. The whole "then your baby is dead" thing. I mean. Technically, I guess in this scenario, he can't know that. But also, he's like a thousand years old or something, isn't he? He's like at least two hundred years old. <laughs> and he, Lenny Taitelbaum, we deducted, I'm sure, in the past. So, like, just have a bit of awareness. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, what was it? Crackerjack says when he says, "I'm too old to learn and I will not learn," or whatever he <laughs> says. Lenny Taitelbaum's still alive and he's still got that mentality. Um, but, yeah, the spin of Bojack just being the worst and somehow being the one who Lenny's the most drawn to because he knows the people, the, the society in general, has been like, trained to like that kind of person mm. who might have a bit of a the phoenix rising from the ashes or the horse riding from the manure, I guess, in this scenario. <laughs> like, all of it's bad. All of it, every single part of it. And yet, somehow, despite the fact she's drunk, she's going through some real tough stuff, Princess Carolyn gets through this on almost on instinct. Like,
1: yeah.
2: her coming up with Bojack's name comes from her like, saying Hugh Jackman and somebody else. And it just like she puts the names together pretty much and comes out with Bojack. That's just good instinct. It comes out like in her, in her head. She knows how to work this game, even when she's not at 100%. So, while, yeah. yes, the men of Hollywood might get away with one, uh, it's hard to call it a win for Carolyn, but it is a win, I guess. Yeah.
1: For now, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. We ended that scene again with the clowns and Todd celebrating the success from a nearby bin. And that brings up our one week later graphic. Uh, And Yolanda sat saying, Wow, what a great show! You can keep your business is what I would say if you put on a good show. Yolanda yeah. is putting the clen- it's out of business. Delivered, of course, in an inimitable Bojack style. Um, She recommends that Todd closes the business. So he packs them into a clown car and says he's gonna drive them into a woods near an abandoned <laughs> elementary school. Uh, it's a week later um, from that. Again, that like that daft story gets service with the daft payoff and on we go. Um, but Princess Carolyn, is obviously getting nowhere still with a lazy assistant. Stuart not being able to set things up with Abel getting touch with Bojack. Nothing has really moved on since we last saw Princess Carolyn with Benny Turtletop. Um, Stuart, who we have seen in the show before, um, does remind her that today is the day of a, quote, bitch meeting. Because he just, <laughs> he's misread his own note and he can't be asked and wants to go home. Um, so he leaves for the day. Um, She needs Bojack's signature. Uh, Lenny Turtletop wanted Bojack to be signed to a contract for this show because he's obviously screwed him in the past. So I guess that heat will still only take you so far. Um, But when she rings Bojack to just get it over the phone, um, he slams the phone down immediately with a bad time, can't talk. And we see that he's in his car driving with Beatrice. So it's back to Princess Carolyn. Um, She signs it on his behalf anyway, forging a signature yet again, one week earlier. We are finally back to Hollyhock's collapse. Um, Bojack is uh, trying to get to see her in hospital. She's been taken there by an ambulance, we learn. Um, but he can't prove that he's her parent, a legal guardian. Um, he's trying to remember all of the various names. And then, in a really quite sweet moment of inspiration, he remembers all her surnames. He remembers several specific details about her, about her birthday, about all sorts of various sort of personal traits, and just goes into detail about how smart and funny he is and clearly the impact she's had on his life since she's been around. It doesn't help him get seen at the desk at all. Uh, he still can't prove if he's a parent or a guardian, um, but it's nice. It's just nice. It's a moment of clarity for Bojack that he's every now and then he needs. Um, we see him sat in the waiting room. Um, there's a passage of time, sort of fade, fade in, fade out, where Bojack sort of passed out in the chair, having eaten. Um, he's woken eventually by the sound of all eight of Hollycock's dads at the hospital, talking through helping her, talking through what they're going to do. Um, they're all complete caricatures. This is tremendous writing this. They're all laughable caricatures, stereotypes of races, creeds, animals. Um, but their love of Hollyhock is what shines through. Their mm-hmm. care for her shines through above these daft caricatures and that seems a choice. Um, how ridiculous and outlandish can we make these dads before we actually make them rooted to something very real? And the love they have for for Hollyhock is matched only by the disdain they've got for Bojack for Mm -hmm. seemingly leading her astray or not looking after her while she's been in uh, Hollywood. Um, It turns out she's overdosed on amphetamines, which Bojack had absolutely no clue about, which, again, does him no favour with the dads. um, And they ban him from ever seeing Hollyhock again. Um, Bojack spins out at this point. He uh, he darts back to the house in something of a panic. uh, And the sound when he gets back into the house where Beatrice is still sat, with um, Tina the Care Bear, suddenly switches to that distant underwater noise as if he's unable to focus. It kind of mirrors how Hollyhock was in the opening scene as well. He, uh, he shambles into his bathroom uh, and we just see him flushing loads and loads and loads of various pills away. Again, just that total sweet shot, you know, pharmacy that he's got in his bathroom cabinet. Um, and he appears to have a panic attack on the floor himself. He's struggling to breathe. We get the For the last time, one week later, um, because all of this is obviously taking place within the same seven-day period for all the various plots, um, Bojack is staring out of his window, and Beatrice is just sort of pootling around, uh, asking him where Hollyhock's gone. Uh, Bojack suddenly gets quite introspective, um, noting that maybe Beatrice wasn't such an awful mother all along, and maybe it's that he underestimated just how difficult the task was. Um, He says he blew it worse with Hollyhock than Beatrice ever did with him. Quote, being a parent is impossible so i guess i can't be that mad at you Uh, relatable content there she's still wondering aloud where holly is and so they can just have a coffee together as they used to bojack sort of makes light of this you two always having your coffee together and then it hits him like a ton of bricks checks the coffee out uh, in the cabinet underneath uh, where they sort of brew it every day. And Beatrice has been adding weight loss supplements to the coffee. If you remember very early on, she made a big point about saying how hollyhock needed to lose some pounds. And she sort of almost does it with a wry smile as if it's this is family secret. We've seen the expectations that were levied upon Beatrice once upon a time. So we know this is kind of a through line of her personality, Bodak snaps, uh, livid. Uh, he says Beatrice ruined the one good thing he had Beatrice, uh, Calls out for Cracker in a split second. But Bojack screams, stop, you are out of chances. We cut to them sat in the car where Bojack knocks off the call from Princess Carolyn earlier in the episode. Um, he's taking Beatrice to a care home and has specifically asked for the worst available room. And isn't that paid off with the first shot of the room that Beatrice is wheeled into? It's, mm-hmm. it's a prison-like, grotty little dorm room, bits of the wall hanging off, one of them light fan things. Um, the care assistant notes that the uh, blind on the window has to stay down because the window is a view of a dumpster. Um, there is nothing to love about this environment whatsoever. And uh, Bojack seems to revel in that. He says, quote, Well, this is your life now. This is what it all added up to. You, by yourself, in this room, best of luck. See you never. Beatrice, in, in, a, in a sort of moment of her own reflection, turns her chair around and says, Who is that? Bojack replies, still just disgusted. Oh, bye, mom." To which she replies, poor Jack, and credits. God
2: damn it, man. God damn it, Michael. <laughs> we knew something was up. We weren't sure. Hollyhock, obviously, starting the episode in a bit of a here's, bit of a lo- lo- look for all intents and purposes, like some sort of panic attack or anxiety driven thing. And mm. uh, now we know. Now we know, man. This is um, the impact of this. Close and stretch is quite something, Uh 'cause because for a lot of things we like can hold against Bojack, this isn't one of them uh, to a certain extent. We've been let you let to believe in a little way that it might be his fault, and yes, he's not done the best, but you know, the build where we think, um, maybe his way with Hollyhock is going to have a knock on effect, and we have the episodes to be, and you kind of think that maybe, just maybe. He's the problem. And then it turns out, actually, despite the father's being angry with him and him not seeing the signs and them thinking that she's got addicted to drugs while living with him, it turns out it's not even his fault. Like, the one thing he was doing all right, he was actually doing all right. Like, turns out that was okay. How we go from a point where, let's not forget, Bojack kind of, as you said, has that moment with Beatrice where he's like, Hey, maybe we found some common ground after all. Maybe me Mm. and you have kind of turned this corner. Yeah. How wrong he is. How (laughs) wrong he is. As he realises and has that moment where, actually, this is my mother we're talking about. God, man. You are just so angry at Beatrice, aren't you, when this happens? Mm -hmm. Because this is Hollyhock, who has no choice in any of this. She Mm -hmm. she She doesn't even know what's happening to her. This has just happened to her. And it's not a panic attack. It's whatever has been induced by all of this foreign entity that she's been putting in her body that she didn't even know about um, Bojack taking his mount to the worst place possible, all of it just like God And then, you, are we angry or we We don't know because before the episode's even finished Bojack is now being seen I guess for the first time by his mm-hmm. mother is it a ploy, is it not a ploy oh is the whole thing being a ploy uh, just, <laughs> you're left with so many questions
1: Yeah, it's torturously sad in one sense because this, the first scene that you greeted with of them playing Uno, yes, it's through the shaky cam of Hollyhock's, you know, episode that she's about to have. Um, But it looks, and not for the first time, like they've sort of figured out this kind of dysfunctional family unit. They've kind of made it work, the four of them in that house together, uh, in a way that Bojack at least can cope with. Hollyhock's glad to have. And Beatrice is somewhere relatively safe for somebody that we know to be old and infirm um, and kind of in need of care, which she had in Tina. Mm. Uh, and yet when Bojack snaps, it's as if there was an inevitability to it. It was as if he was not planning it, but so prepared for it that he knew all the next moves. There's, yeah. a, there's a dark acceptance and it's so quick. Um, there's a dark acceptance of this being Beatrice's fault, of him finding the evidence and him acting what he believes accordingly with that evidence. It's mm. it's it's we are led to believe weeks and months of gradual building of a relationship that was seemingly broken that he just sledgehammers through in seconds because, as you point out, is it that Beatrice has been doing the same? Um, It's the Beatrice stuff is so interesting because obviously through Bojack's lens, he's never. I think this was the first episode that I can remember, and somebody can correct us on wrong at Podcast Horseman if I'm wrong. I think this is the first episode that up to this point when they have their to-do, it's the first time he's not questioned her um like how senile she is or what she's forgotten. He has become acceptant of her. No longer does he correct her when She calls him by another name, or she doesn't realize, yeah, or whatsoever.
2: get really, really annoyed by it. Like it's yeah. an inconvenience.
1: It's just, he's he's gotten okay with it, or he's reached a point where he's maybe maybe not believing her, but certainly accepting that she's not like she's not running a game here. She's not, this is not a put on. And then he couldn't be more at the opposite end of the spectrum. He's back. Ironically, when he's taken her back to the care home, he's exactly the person he was when Hollyhock was breaking her out with the last one. Yeah. It's become a full, like a, a perfect circle.
2: It's a perfect circle almost. And I just think to go back to the start where you were saying, obviously, despite Hollyhock's episode, we are essentially getting a very modern version of the beginning of an episode of Horsin' Around, aren't we? Like,
1: absolutely, yes. Yeah.
2: They have faked it till they've made it. Like, how did this whole thing start? It started with Bojack and Hollyhock going to take to see Beatrice in the home and taking mm-hmm. our episodes of Horsin' Around. And then they did the reenactment of it and the thing which was the thing that eventually had them leave the care home initially because it upset her so much she had that violent episode we've reached a point where as you say Bojack has got to being so like used to what's going on the situation they've managed to find whatever this dysfunctional family this version of a family is and he's literally living an ep- like an episode of horse around, which we have mm-hmm. seen throughout this show is all he ever wanted really is some yeah. version of a family and now he has it and no less Michael with three women, like that's hugely important. Like yeah. Bojack has made a family with three women, who at this point he's not apart from being an obnoxious Uno player. Yeah. he's not he's not doing a bad ten. Like, and they're no. all living with him as well.
1: Like that's fact, gotta all, be a record. All three of them are people that he can't sleep with. So all he can't. He can't destroy the relationship. Yeah. He can't do it.
2: No matter yeah. how hard he
1: tries. <laughs> And then because he perceives that Beatrice has, he then thinks that he can just press. It's like um like an Acme plunger on the whole thing, isn't it? He just thinks he can just drop that plunger hard and explode the whole thing.
2: He has a question for you then, just before we move on. Um your knee-jerk reaction. The right thing the Bojack's done, or the wrong thing, or is there a middle ground somewhere? Oh,
1: it's hard because this is... My How story. did
2: you feel? Did you feel like he made yeah. a very rash move or did you feel like this is justified?
1: I think, and I'm trying to remember my first watch rather than the watch that we did for this episode. Yeah. I think I shared Bojack's rage. Mm. I, think I, I think I bought the red mist. I wonder if like, and again, this is really hard because you're talking about potentially a woman that has lost control of all the facilities and you're putting her in this virtual prison. And you kind of empathising with the character that did it. Yeah, good. Good for you, Jack Leave her there. So you feel a bit you feel like ghoulish for even suggesting it. But I remember the, my anger is felt pointed towards Beatrice. Um, I forgot in the moment, which I have to confess, I didn't do in the notes for this episode, the 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 flashback episode, Beatrice's awful, yeah. awful life, like the, the dreadful life that she'd had to endure just to reach this point. I wouldn't put that woman in... A, a grotty care home but I would put this Beatrice in one it's it's so difficult I o- what we-
2: yeah I only ask you this because uh, I every time I've watched it since like without fail I think I've felt like yeah yeah put her there put her in there and I think the, the level of abuse and torture and awful stuff that Bojack has endured from his mother up to this point yes as we know, the cycle of, not the cycle of revenge, but you know what I mean? The cycle of life has put them in this scenario. Situation thing, situational things have happened, which have then led to this. But I just, it's an unbreakable thing. This Hollyhock is so important to Bojack, so important to Bojack Mm -hmm. as like for him, but also for us to see that that's the one person who might actually help him to grow and to change and to become a better horse (laughs) and um, Mm -hmm. a a horse man in this case. And, to take that away and because of, for what? For the sake of Beatrice to make Hollyhock thin, which is not, is a non-factor. It's a non-factor in life. It shouldn't matter. It's not a, not a thing that's important, yeah. It, I was furious when it happened. And every time it happens again and I watch him put her in there, I'm like, yeah, and make sure you pull those blinds up before you go because <laughs> she needs to look at that bin. And on the bin... I think that's just, you can't really say anything else, but that's just the word warning on the, on the dumpster, on the dumpster is literally outside. And I just feel like, Oh man, I wish I'd seen that. I wish they'd show me that warning <laughs> sign back in episode one, because God damn it. Like when he leaves, I looking out that window. There's not a part of my fiber that is going like, Oh, maybe this is a bit harsh, not one. And I, and I know that if you step back and you look at all the factors, maybe there should be, but that's just not, she's, no. she's a bad egg. She's done some horrible things to him in this show lest we forget the time when he thought he turned the corner in season two, and she just told him that he was poisoned, that he'd come from poison, yeah. and he will never be anything, because there's no cure for Bojack Horseman.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like, the, the thing that we probably lingered on the most in our season one and two reviews, because they were the most jagged, were flashbacks to Bojack's childhood. and yeah. um, Just the cruelty, or was it, well, uh, again... I think we watched, we, we watched child abuse happen and the result of child abuse and Bojack could still be considered that now. Um, yeah, it's very easy to share his anger. Very, very easy.
2: Really easy. And I think the other tiny last thing is that it's the generational thing as well. Like Todd sums it up well, you know? You can't just do things because you have had bad things happen to you. Mm. You can't just do that. And yet Beatrice is still doing it now and not only has she done it to Bojack, she started doing it to the next generation, yeah. Like, and that's the problem for me. Like, that is, that's it, man. Nail in the coffin, quite literally. <laughs> Go on, that's it. You're in the home now. Enjoy the, <laughs> enjoy the bin. <laughs> enjoy the bin. I'm glad, anyway. uh,
1: I'm glad we found. Yeah, like the. I'm glad we found the funny side of her uh, enclosed incarceration. We got that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, it, it brings it out of you, man, this show mm. And as you know, Michael, Bojack Horseman Is better than the show you like, so of course it does Of course it does Anyway, speaking of which, it is so damn good That maybe we need some relief Potentially comic, potentially more tragedy Who knows, but this is the part of the show We call <laughs> horsing Around, where we go back To the beginning of the episode, and we pick up On all the uh, hidden meanings Behind things that you might have missed All the small details, all the easter eggs Within the episode, and One of us has to unfortunately catalogue them all and reread them (laughs) to you. So let's find out what was going on in this episode. We go all the way back to the very beginning of the episode in BoJack's house. A couple of things to begin with. On Hollyhock's phone, we see as she's writing out the message uh, in response to uh, a text from one of her fathers, we see that the network that her phone is on is instead of AT&T, it's Matt Michael, which makes it Cat and T instead nice. of E-N-T, okay. the uh, network provider for the phones. And, of course, uh, the text we see is from Papa Otto, who we will find out more about. Later on, I have more to come back, so remember that the text was from mm-hmm. Papa Otto. And okay. um, we go then past the credits and we go into debate night, California, Michael. And the first things we see here there's a lot going on here. There is an amazing poll that's called the Gallup poll on MSNBC right. that shows us a graph here and a, a graph basically. And on the x axis, on x and y axes, we have likeability and time as you'll see with both the heads of Woodchuck and uh, Jessica Biel so at the beginning as time moves on likeability of Jessica Biel is just trending upwards (laughs) while the likeability of Woodchuck is directly moving downwards because he's obviously not got the right hands Michael but then when he's when later on when his hands change. The crossover on the axis of the, <laughs> in the opposite direction as time goes on, Michael. The likability of Woodchuck continues to increase. We then also get a series of absolutely brilliant news stories that pop up one by one during this time as the pendulum is swinging throughout this uh, race. As you can imagine, the first of which is <laughs> in reference to his clause. it's coming from uh, an, a website article or a magazine article. The magazine is called uh, Politicoala is the, name of the, uh, oh, <laughs> is the name of the website, I think it is. Yeah, it's a website. And uh, the the headline reads, Clause and Effect.
1: Very nice. Very good.
2: <laughs> it comes from Kelsey Bayer, who's the writer. And it says the following. There's a few of these, so put your belt on. Um, the Could Chuck Berkowitz campaign finds itself in a pinch. Poll numbers are plummeting for the would-be, could-be governor as his crustacean extremities have snapped his off-putting public image into focus for constituents. Blunder after blunder, Kuchuk Berkowitz's claws have torn his chances of re-election asunder. Meanwhile, fans of the clawman lawman wonder if it's safe to even support him publicly. Community leaders warn that rally-goers might get crushed in the clutches of his snappy sea creature Digit's Wildlife experts say that the instincts of this ground squirrel might drive him to burrow into crowds uncontrollably. (laughs) In quotes, he ruined my birthday balloon. Wah wah, as the picture shows a a little pig and his pig and a pig kid, as Woodchuck has cut the balloon with his claws and it's floating off into the air. uh, And which they followed by saying, Wah wah, tweeted. Baby Billy, the birthday balloon boy, known far and wide for his viral video in which he rubs a balloon on his tummy and sings, it's my birthday, yes it is, I'm the best baby in the baby boy biz. <laughs> <laughs> that is just one of these new stories, to mm. <laughs>
1: point out.
0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus, big comfort for everyone.
0: Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
2: We then go to the next one that pops up quick. <clears throat> it says, in a complete contrast to this, of course, uh, just from the Ant Hill, uh, which is the, the name of the paper. Californians feel the beal, And the picture you can see here is the same little pig kid who was given the balloon to Jessica Beale, but she's now <laughs> holding the balloon, Michael, because she's got the hands. And the, <laughs> the article is written by Amy Sheldon, and it says, Jess, we can, was the chant that greeted TV pretty gubernatorial candidate Jessica Beale at her rally Thursday in the Beverly Stilton. Thanks a billion! She shouted back. <laughs> Fans from all over the state have embraced the candidate's sensible centrist message and sensible center part of her hair. One fan, <laughs> one, one fan is Baby Billy, the birthday balloon boy, the seventeen-year-old internet sensation. <laughs> tweeted, recently, tweeted, "Baby Billy, like Beely, she make my balloon go boom boom." <laughs> Oh, man, this is just...
1: Oh, I can ec- believe that he's one of the Boom Boom Boys.
2: All the Boom Boom Boys for, <laughs> for this yeah. one. My goodness me. But <laughs> we, don't, we don't stop there, though. Because, of course, as we mentioned, when Woodchuck does get his new hands, the whole thing is flipped on its head. Everything changes and we get some more new stories to start to pop up. The next one is a good one to open with. Now, on these ones, some of it's cut off, by the way, the framing is, of course. But the headline for this one, when he gets his new hands, is Church Steeple and All the People. And he's taking a picture of himself doing the thing with his hands. You know, he has the church, he has the steeple, and he'll open it up, <laughs> and there's all the people. And the bits that you can read uh, it says, um, <laughs> It says, Soft, Healthy Skin restored nail beds who could ask for anything more he's got (laughs) my vote we've seen those hands high-fiving our dudes in the dodgers dugout we've seen those hands in the clubs and discotheques of the bay area thrown into the air and then waved around like woodchuck just doesn't care (laughs) but californians here know that he does care and then there's a whole few bits about manicurists and stuff that you can't really read um and then the next one is another shot of him just a quick one here that says, the gloves are off. And it's a picture of Woodchuck sat on a, on a stool, looking mean with his hands in the pose. <laughs> that he means business, Michael. Finally, it has landed on, we get to the next one below that. It says, it's time to get down to business, Woodchuck Bergwitz said, at a summit for the influential financial experts and small business owners. However, the agenda for the meeting was quickly scuttled when the attendees implored Woodchuck, to uh, implored Woodchuck, implored Kunchuk Beckwith to table the planned conversation for a later date so that everyone could take turns interlacing their fingers with his <laughs> it says voters like hands with a picture of his thumb up and then, <laughs> and then says some shy guys in attendance stuck with basic hand claps and doing daps with the governor instead others, <laughs> others played cat's cradle <laughs>
1: i love this gag man i just i love this somewhere there's there's, this goes deeper there's the how this landed on hand stuff i don't know but like
2: but it's such a bigger commentary on uh, on the elections not least because of course we'd find certain individuals would end up in the presidency later on not less than their hands Mm -hmm. Uh, and the last little bit of there underneath the picture of the thumbs up from from Kudshuk says, Kunchuk Beckwith gives constituents his now famous thumbs up gesture at a rally (laughs) in Bakersfield on Tuesday. That perfect thumb swooned one local man. (laughs) Oh, it's so ridiculous. So ridiculous. It is followed later on by Woodchuck. We see images of him going to meet the voters outside. And there's a big sign across the top that says, hands up for Woodchuck, the hands down best. And there's a woman who you'll notice here who the one when, when Woodchuck does catch the baby, as you alluded to. Now, the woman's baby, Michael, is the woman who we've seen Bojack steal a pram off many, many times. Ah, uh, throughout the but it's not the baby you're thinking of, because as you'll know, time has passed a lot since those days when Bojack was stealing the pram. Mm-hmm. The woman now has a semi-grown-up little daughter, who's about like three-ish, four-ish maybe, and now has a new baby who is the one that Woodchuck is catching. So another little nod to how time has passed, because that woman yeah, now okay. has a second child. Very good world building from them indeed. And then, of course, as Woodchuck does catch the baby, we get more quick news headlines here. <laughs> uh, this one is from The Daily Spiel, which says, Woodchuck catches baby. Uh, family man and political hero, Governor Woodchuck, Kudchuck Beckwith, has saved the day once again. What an adorable infant slipped through his clumsy mother's arms I mean clumsy mother's arms at a rally yesterday Kuchuk Bekowitz and his open palms smooth like cashmere were there to catch him how does he do it? Kuchuk insists that he puts on his smart, boxy, <sighs> boxy blazer one sleeve at a time, just like the next guy, that's the kind of modesty you can expect from a noble man with a political career as impressive as Kudchuck Bergwitz's baby Billy, the birthday of balloon boy, tweeted, Wow, Zowie, wish Woodchuck could catch me. I'm a little baby, is, <laughs> and then and it finishes by saying, He is a small 17 year old man <laughs> with a picture, of course, of Woodchuck catching the baby. This is absolutely. Oh. But not as ludicrous, Michael, as everybody turning on Jessica Biel, which is summarised brilliantly in this headline. I'm sorry, there was just a lot of stuff going on here. Okay. Jessica Biel doesn't catch baby. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Flicker Hoofman, <laughs> which says, in a shocking turn of events, Jessica Biel did not catch a baby. How could she do this? What was she thinking? Wow, really <laughs> makes you think. She might have been the star of Summer Catch, but when it comes to catching babies, this sinner is no winner. <laughs> just a picture of Jessica Beale shrugging, looking confused as to why <laughs> this is happening to her. Don't worry, Jessica. We are as well, just as lost as you are. Anyway, we move on. Only briefly, mind you. We now move across to Katrina and Jessica Beale's offices, wherever they're based out of. And as you mentioned, there's a brilliant Zoom and Enhance gag here that um, Katrina's mm-hmm. doing. The old typical one you've seen in a million films. Enhance, 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 zoom, enhance. Uh, and basically, she says, zoom in on that thumb. And in our heads, Michael, thumb these days would probably mean the picture for a video, wouldn't it? But of course, the gag is it's a picture, but on the picture, she wants to zoom in on the thumb, the actual yeah. thumb that's on <laughs> the thumbnail to get that uh, the thumbprint, which she mentions later on. Um, then we go across obviously to MSNBC from there, we catch up with our good friend Tom Gumbo-Jumbo, who's talking with Katrina and the the headline reads Could Chuck Berkowitz's new hands not so handsome, Michael (laughs) and then as we find out of course were the hands of Ernest Contralto who, while being a paedophile murderer paedophile slash murderer I should point out, was also it seems a mime, because he has like mime face paint on and a couple of tears coming from his eyes (laughs) A multi-layered character, this. Not that I'm trying to make you sympathise with him at all, of course. Um, <laughs> but um we leave that anyway. That's all left to MSNBC. And we go across to Girl Crush, the Girl Crush officers in this particular yeah. one. Um, <clears throat> On the outside and the exterior, you'll see a great guy where there's a rhino man and his exotic bird partner, Michael, who are walking down the street. The exotic bird partner is sat on his backpack that he's got and is, like, picking out the bits of his hair as if it were... Right, a rhino in the wild as she grooms mm-hmm. him with a beak then we go inside and I just thought it was worth knowing that amongst many things that um Shivani Stilton Shivani? Stefani
1: Stefani
2: Stefani Stilton even a Shivani Shilton don't know where I got that from <laughs> she, she says to Diane when she's talking about she says oh my Gaia Diana instead of oh my god and for anybody who's into that Greek mythology will know that Gaia is the ancestral mother of all life Michael because of course ah, you, right. they don't talk about God they talk about Gaia yeah. um, and I, should, I just thought it was worth noting as well that the coworker who sits there's usually three of them where Diane sits she's in the middle mm-hmm. there's a woman on her right and someone on her left the woman on her left still has images on her computer screen of the crotches of both presumably <laughs> Both Hemsworth brothers, because as you recall, she was doing the lists on like cross shots of Chris Hemsworth and cross shots of Liam Hemsworth. At which point, one point, I'm sure Liam ends up overtaking Chris on the (laughs) (laughs) Giddel's Board, but that's a tale for another time. We go across to the restaurant that you mentioned, it's the that Jessica Beale and Diana in when they're doing the interview. Um, I never know the name of this one, but it's come up a few times. This restaurant, it's got the Sea View. but mm. inside, though, brilliantly, the little gag here yeah, is that a man gets his food delivered to the table, and on the table just next to him is a couple of seagulls who've been having drinks, who then get up and start, like, as if a man's just dropped his chips at the seaside, <laughs> and just start going and floating around and going, trying to get it. Dinner, and he's stewing them away, despite the fact they're wearing these, like, Hawaiian shirts, it's quite yes. a gag. We then go back again, though, to MSNBC. The fallout from all of this, of course, Michael, is the brilliant news headline regarding Jessica Biel's dislike for avocado, which is unholy guacamole. (laughs) (laughs) Followed quickly by Biel no longer the taste of the town, because, of course, this is the real nail in the coffin for Jessica Biel. Never mind hands, Michael. Don't mess with people's avocados, especially not in California. We go across to Woodchuck's office, and I've just written there, this is far from over, gag. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I think we both agree. A fantastic gag. The one week later, it's just exceptional. And brilliantly, as we cut back to Woodchuck's office after we find out mm-hmm. all about this, um, there's a sign in the background. And it looks like Mr. Butter has been contributing to this campaign after all, Michael, because the sign says, Hooray for Woodchuck. Uh, hooray, hooray for Woodchuck. And if he doesn't win, write, So sorry, Woodchuck. <laughs> <laughs> And as you mentioned, brilliantly, Woodchuck's hand enthusiasm is palpable as he says, High five, low five, shadow puppet, <laughs> and
1: five, <high." laughs> Shadow puppets, man. Brilliant,
2: brilliant, brilliant stuff. He's so excited to just have hands, Michael. <laughs> we go across to the Silver Spoon Diner, where Todd is meeting with Yolanda uh, Bonaventura, I believe it's she's called. Mm-hmm. Um brilliantly. As you recall in our last episode of both Podcast Horseman and the last episode of BoJack Horseman, there was a poster for a film that Princess Carolyn walked past called uh, Uncle Cook, if you recall correctly, which yeah. was Robert De Niro, Channing Tatum and Laura Linney in that film, <laughs> uh, with Robert De Niro looking rather shocked on the cover. Yeah. Well, in, On a billboard outside uh, outside of the Silver Spoon Diner. In the background is Todd's talking to Yolanda. You will notice there's a uh, popular billboard for another film, Michael, which is called Son of Uncle Cook. <laughs> 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 which is, of course, a nod to the previous film, but now it's starring Channing Tatum, who's in the Robert De Niro role. Laura Linney is still in the film. <laughs> and Billy Crystal is, is the other part. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Brilliant stuff, this Really, really good. Um, I just thought it was worth noting as well. There's a picture that uh Yolanda whips out of uh, the of the clown dentist for to show Todd and uh, mm-hmm. the complaints. And it's just an amazing picture of a clown dentist chasing after all these kids. In one hand, he's got this gigantic toothbrush, and in the other hand, he's got this massive soul <laughs> <laughs> running after the kids with a big smile on his face. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh. Um as all the kids are running away. But brilliantly, I love this uh, little nod from Yolanda, who probably mentioned something you might remember here, Michael. She's talking about the clown dentist business of Todd and how it's just a disaster, basically. And she says, now, if this were October, you could market your venture as some sort of spooky Halloween experience. But since this is January, a month which, to my knowledge, contains no Halloweens, I'm afraid I have no choice but two and then she gets cut off which is of course a brilliant reference the second one in two episodes i should point out Mm. to halloween in january the great idea in great in inverted commas of todd and mr peanut butter of course last episode it was on ralph stilton's whiteboard of ideas and now stefani mentions it again it's almost like they want us to remember halloween in january like it's a good idea but also (laughs) to something i thought you and i would both enjoy because we i know we both love the man do we trust Yolanda at all? Because Michael, she does warn Todd that she once met Paul Rudd at a cocktail party and did not find him charming.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was livid about that. I like well, I didn't I didn't include that in my notes, and I was kind of hoping you wouldn't either because I just it felt like that should come with a trigger warning.
2: It was it was infuriating. I, I just I don't like Yolanda now because of this. <laughs> Yolanda, be cool, and apparently she was not cool in this instance. Anyway, we cut across to Vim Management and a quick gag outside as we usually get outside of Vim. Two lizards walking down the street, Michael, or a lizard and a gecko, I believe, walking down the street. One is wearing a blue t-shirt, the other's wearing like a blue crop top, and they like see each other, they stop and they drop to the floor and start doing press-ups in front of each other while staring aggressively. Now, for all of you who are confused like me, probably thinking, what on earth is going on? Don't worry, I've got you sorted. But for all for all of you who obviously knew what was going on, fair play to you for your lizard knowledge. But here's some lizard facts for you, Michael. These the lizards, the, the lizards that you normally see doing this, a literal thing that lizards do, by the way, this push ups, the blue bellied lizard, and they do the push up as a mating display, flashing the blue markings on their bellies to attract the females. Their push ups are also a territorial display, often to challenge other males if they get too near and fight one another when they enter their territory. So there you go. Ah, lizard fact swinging there. David Attenborough, eat your heart out. Mm. Um, not literally, though. I hope you Hope you're looking after yourself, David. (laughs) (laughs) I also just wanted to point out brilliantly, uh, Rami Malek is in this episode excellently as the voice of Flip McVicar in this episode, Mm -hmm. the man who is pitching Filbat to Princess Carolyn in her office. Some great stuff from him in general, just his overall uh, portrayal of the character. But excellently, Michael. He says he doesn't trust email. He doesn't want to email the script over to Princess Carolyn because he doesn't trust email and the government which is what he says. Now, if anybody has ever watched Mr. Robot, the TV show, of which Remy Malek is, of course, the main character, Elliot, in that show, he plays a cyber hacker um, who is very wary of all both the government, society, and everything involved. So this kind of felt like a little wink oh, and- towards that. He doesn't trust email, he doesn't trust the government, and probably for good reason, too. <laughs> um, we go back, across to Princess Caroline's apartment, which is now reclaimed, technically, because, obviously, once you split up with um, Ralph, She's now back in, in Todd's clown dentistry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
2: and basically, I just thought it was hilarious because I believe that you will find in this episode a child is still being worked on by one of the clown dentists on a settee <laughs> in the far corner. And I'm pretty sure it's the same kid from the previous episode oh, kid. who just hasn't made it out yet. What can they still be doing oh. with Michael? He's still got all his teeth. Unbelievable. The Clintists are at work <laughs> once again. Um, but we finally switch across again now, this time to Parrotmount Studios, which, of course, we've been to numerous times in this show. But this is when they're trying to get Princess Carolyn in for her meeting with Lenny Turtletop. You'll first see on the outside, this happen, This gag has happened a few times with a different van each time. The van that's going into Parrotmount Studios this time is called Snail Mail. And at the bottom it says, when you want your package, eventually... Zip slowed on the back. <laughs> it's got a picture of a snail in a mailman's outfit, just going as slow as humanly possible. That's um, nice. But also a lovely tie-in here, which um, as you, as you mentioned, there was about three. That's the three different narratives going on here, isn't it? At one point in the maybe four, te, three, mm-hmm. four. Uh, but you get that moment, don't you? Where there's a great crossover in the first narrative, where we see the goat is being interviewed by someone, someone reacting to the. Jessica Biel and Woodchuck shenanigans and you just randomly see Princess Carolyn fly around the back of the head of the goat really quickly and it's not explained until we get Princess Mm Carolyn's narrative and we eventually see that all the shenanigans that happened, she is of course catapulted into Paramount Studios and as she is, in her narrative we see her flying over the top, in the foreground you can see the goat is being uh, interviewed by MSNBC, so it all ties together quite nice and neat, I thought that was great, a lovely way to get the through line there And that same TV will also, the goat on TV will also pop up in Bojack's narrative when he's at the hospital too later on. But we'll get there in just a second. Hold your horses. Brilliantly, I also thought, I love this whole Carolyn thing because it is just, to me, it felt like such a wink and a nod. It's almost a reverse heist that they're doing in the Paramount Studios. And Mm. the whole, the music and the way that the images are moved around on screen is very Oceans Trilogy-esque. Like,
1: everything's
2: moving along and sliding. It's all supposed to look pretty slick. I thought it was a good little wink and nod to that. Um, but then also on top of that, Princess Carolyn, uh, brilliantly. That whatever the tie in gag is, yeah, it's great because obviously we saw Jessica Beale earlier talking about her perfume Bealist uh by Jessica Beale. She obviously mentions Sealist by Seal. We don't get a, a, a third one for this collection, but I would be curious to see what it might be. I just thought it was funny how she's pulled that out of her backside, despite the fact that she technically had no part to play it in it. <laughs> almost like People in Hollywood just talk rubbish, Michael. Yeah, they
1: just make up as they go along. Just
2: make it up as they go along. <laughs> Brilliantly, though, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Lenny Turtle mentions that there's a a site that would like to start getting into the streaming world, and that site, Michael, is now dot com, which would sound completely left field. Had it not already cropped up in the previous episode, when Ruthie is doing her presentation to the class in the future, she talks about how time is this thing that used to do before the bean system or mm-hmm. the beans. And there's a bunch of images on the uh, projector behind her. There's like the advert for a Rolex. There's uh, Flavor Flav with the clock round his neck and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. One of them in the bottom corner is uh, what time is it anyway dot or what time is it right now dot com, which is obviously sort of foreshadowed towards in this episode and brilliantly there's a good guy coming in just a second to do with just that not before lenny turtletop comes out with this absolute corker he's a bit of a piece of sh- uh, is lenny turtletop but mm. he does say this tv pitching is like the israeli flag michael it's nothing without a big star <laughs> <laughs> I and i tell you what it's hard to argue good argue. good, line. good logic but brilliantly, though, when he's talking about uh, what time is it anyway, or what time is it right now God, that's a mouthful. When Princess Carolyn is trying to pitch the show and she's trying to pitch the people to go on that show, she mentions she mentions, even should I say, um, Tony Shilob is one of the people she would put forward as the main star. We'll come back to that in just a second because tailtop says, this is what time is it right now not what time is it 15 years ago dot geocities slash monk fan page, which... <laughs> Jesus goddamn Christ, for anybody who remembers any yeah. of these very blatant timestamps, Geocities <laughs> shook my world when I saw Geocities. I can remember Geocities vividly. It was everywhere. Everybody had was using Geocities. And I had one. I had
1: one. Yeah.
2: Everybody had one. And, of course, for anybody who's into that TV, of course, Monk is the TV show. We all know what Monk is. The American comedy, drama, detective mystery television series, which, ironically, starred Tony Shalhoub, Michael Who? Mm. Princess Carolyn had mentioned earlier and I imagine there was quite a few Monk fan pages as well back then (laughs) probably probably on Geocities too Um, and finally just a wonderful little thing that made me laugh so much at the end of this little scene where you mentioned that was the distraction uh, because one of the clowns is doing the rubber chicken dance or whatever he's doing where he's like Doing as well, he's singing a song at the same time which is what prevents Turtletoe from leaving and as Lenny Turtletoe is walking off to continue with his day after settling on OKLT and Jack if you can get up a say on the dotted line, he's just singing rubber chicken rubber chicken <laughs> and he's complaining because the song apparently is stuck in his head, although I'm not sure I even hear anybody sing that song that he sings, I'm pretty sure I just made that up Um but anyway we go across to uh, Princess Carolyn's office once again As we mentioned, um, she was trying to get Bojack to sign on the dotted line. And there's a bunch of things that Lenny wanted to make sure were in that contract before he did just that. And we get a quick glimpse of it. I've got a screenshot here of the contract. Page eight of eight, this contract has. And I just thought this was quite interesting to read on what this would all cover once Bojack, wink, wink, signs on the dotted line. Party shall not skip town for any period of time longer than three, in brackets, three days, or one, in brackets, one, business day, to. Quote, find himself, unquote. Quote, explore his past, unquote. Or, quote, face his own demons, unquote. Partly shall shall ignore whims and dark feelings for the extent of this project. Project shall be in the first position for five open brackets. Five close pads, yes, before any other TV, film, book, or media commitments. Party shall participate in promotion and publicity of the project, including but not limited to talk shows, print interviews, photo shoots, tweets, snaps, cheeps, chips, chorps, and radio <laughs> shows. One of the previous items does not actually exist, but maybe it will by the time the project is completed. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> by the time the project is being promoted. This contract is ironclad, all-binding, and totally very serious. Should the party not fulfil duties outlined above, they and any associated parties shall be legally responsible. So there you go. That is what Princess Carolyn has signed on the dotted line for, for Bojack Horseman without his permission, which is quite interesting to say the least. Anyway, we go across to the hospital, the last location for horsing around this week. Now, I'm going to have to do some digging here, because there's a bunch of leaflets on the wall in the hospital that Bojack is, uh, behind Bojack, while he's talking to the nurse and trying to get in to see Hollyhock. There's one you can see that says, five facts you didn't know about Mange." I think it says. "Mange," M-A-N-G-E. I <laughs> mean, that's all I can, it's what it looks like. I can't, if, if it looks like something different to someone else, you're going to have to tell me, but that's what it says. I am an idiot. <laughs> There you go. There's another one that says TNR trap, neuter, release. Teams with an exclamation mark. <laughs> There's one that reads "Coping with Worms," Michael, which sounds like something you know you could you could certainly bear knowing one about. There's also one that says "What Not to Eat Off the Floor." <laughs> We've all been there, am I right? There's another one that's called Impulse Control, which you can only kind of half see. You can't see the full side with the in quotes "Leave It" written on it. Uh, There's another one that just says pamphlets and you, which is a a pamphlet I'd like to read. (laughs) There's another one called, I think it says microchip clinic. Again, they're quite blurred, it's hard to see. And the bottom one says it's about bath time. It's something to do with bath time and overcoming bath time anxiety, it says. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. All problems I'm sure we've all had to deal with at some point in our lives. There's also a poster on the wall in the room now we've seen this poster before but i'll go through it again it's the same one regarding moles in terms of if i said that you know your moles you'd think the moles on your body but of course this is bojack horseman so there's an adult a picture of an adult mole a picture of an adolescent mole a picture of a star nosed mole and a picture of a malignant mole <laughs> they're all <laughs> the actual mole animals as opposed to the moles on your body there's also a rabbit michael looking at an ipad now this was one for our listeners to maybe dive into a little bit more. The rabbit is looking at blood cells on the iPad, and we see one where the blood cells look a bit weird, and then a one where the blood cells, as he swipes left, the blood cells look a bit more spaced out and less so, maybe. Mm. Um, well, two things to note yeah. here. First of all, the rabbit in this scene has appeared before. We're like a hundred percent sure. <laughs> 99% yep. sure that the rabbit has appeared before in the episode, season three, episode three, Bojack kills. And that rabbit is going into the back room of a uh, whale world. I think it is where um, the guy who plays gooback. And now remember his proper name is Dr- dealing Bojack, yes. the heroin drug, not Bojack the horse, of course. Now, interestingly, of course, we think the connection here is that the rabbit is obviously a drug taker of Bojack, mm-hmm. no less heroin being the drug of choice. And how do you take heroin? You inject it with needles into your blood. And one of the biggest issues, of course, with that is if you're sharing needles, people getting all sorts of problems with the needle going into their arm and getting illnesses. We think they may be connected. I'm pretty certain. Sure. Mm. We also thought, I say we, I mean you and I, but mostly you, because you mentioned it, just in case it's wrong. <laughs> 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 uh, the mixed mitosis, though, of rabbits, of course, could well yeah. be something it's alluding to. Um Anybody who has more information on that is welcome to pitch in here. But that's what we kind of summarised with our little bits of tiny knowledge that we pretend to have every now and again. Um, there's also a deer or uh, whatever with a busted antler in there who's also waiting in the waiting room who's injured. Now, the most important part for me personally in this whole hospital situation, Michael, we finally meet Hollyhock's dads. So we've all mm. been waiting. For quite some time. We've heard so much about them, in particular, of course, their last names and how yeah. many of them there actually is. Well, <laughs> let me give you a quick breakdown of all of them, just in case you didn't know, uh, because I thought this was brilliantly done. You mentioned they're all quite stereotypical in a certain mm. way. But let's just break them down. So first of all, we have uh, Jose Guerrero, Michael, who is a father who is a bear, which I guess makes him Jose Guerrero the bear or Michael. Eh?
0: God. <laughs> I guess I- it <laughs> does.
2: I guess, it does. I guess it does. You also get Steve Mannheim, who is literally the most manly man you've ever met in your life. He's got, like, braces on and mm-hmm. uh, pants, and he's, like, the hard man who basically says he's <laughs> the manly Mannheim who you don't want to mess with, is what he basically says. Then we get Deshaun Mannheim, <laughs> who is the complete opposite of, of Steve, I think it's fair to say. Uh, slightly effeminate. Uh, Wearing dancer clothes, you know, the black get-up the dancers wear, um, and just generally not very manly, I think it's fair to say, in comparison to Steve Mannheim, I think we can agree. We also get, <laughs> we also get Kube Robinson the third, Michael, <laughs> who is some real posh-looking guy, he's the one who's in mm-hmm. the purple jacket, he's got the cravat on. And he just talks very condescendingly to BoJack throughout. in a British accent, I believe. Mm. We also get back. We mentioned Papa Otto at the very beginning of this episode. Well, Papa Otto is, of course, amongst these Otto Zilberschlag, who is the Polish man of the of the bunch. Yes. He's the one wearing the green jumper. You'll see him. There's also Gregory Sung, who is the lizard man in the brown suit, as I've written down here. The one who's obsessed with film and cinema and high art is his mm-hmm. gimmick. A lounge lizard. Could he perhaps be called? Ah, yes. Very that good. bill, maybe? I think it might well punch to me. <laughs> and then we also get <laughs> Arturo Fonzarelli, Michael, by the way, who might be my favourite of all the dads. Because Arturo Fonzarelli, for all intents and purposes, despite the fact he's wearing a Sherlin denim jacket rather than a leather one, is supposed to seem like the Fonz, right? We all yeah. get that. He's the cool guy, like the Fonz. The second time, though, that they've bumped any real acknowledgement of the Fonz here, of course, when Henry Winkler features in the episode uh, of Herb's funeral, he mentions how he was mostly known from his um, from his guest role on Law and Order, yes. uh, SVU, or whatever it is. Never mentions him being the Fonz. Never mentions Happy Days or anything like that. Well, despite the fact that Arturo Fonzarelli is most definitely a version of the font, (laughs) he's like, I'm Arturo Fonzarelli, a.k.a. The (laughs) Iceman. It's brilliantly done, this. Brilliantly done. Like, they just swerve you so hard on him. But I thought it was great. And he's got the glasses and he's got the coiffed hair and all that sort of thing. Very, very good. Um, But we also get the, (laughs) the final father, and I know I did say, just say Fonzarelli might be my favourite, but maybe Quackers might be actually be my favourite.
1: He's my favourite of all Quackas, the ducks.
2: Who is Quackers the duck? Who he literally tells us he is. <gasps> he says, "And I'm Quackers, quacka, quack, quack, <laughs> <laughs> quack, And the majority of his input for the rest of this episode is just him quacking, basically, oh, angrily really quacking like an angry duck. What a collectively great bunch of guys these are to mm. watch. Oh, I'm not sure I'd want to get in an argument with them. But they are fascinating nonetheless, Michael. We'll remember yeah. them because those are the fathers who we have been waiting to, to meet all of this time. But that is, of course, everything for this uh, installment of Horsing Around for this week's episode. But, Michael, we do still have a little bit of time. I've just checked the watches. I've just spoke to, yep, I've spoken to our sponsors. We still have time for one last yeah. thing. And then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Michael, first or
1: second this week, what would you like? I'll go first, if that's all right. Um, It occurred to me in this episode um, that we were dealing with significant uh, through lines for season four, that being um, the Princess Carolyn desperate to get a project on the go because the state of her company depends on it, that being Todd's Clown Dentist Enterprise, and that being, of course, the election which we laboured on in the review. Um, All of them, every single one of them, is paid off with a one week later gag. And it is a gag, effectively. Princess Carolyn's uh, company is saved by a forged signature. Mm -hmm. Todd is told to take the clown dentist back to the woods, and Woodchuck just wins with his hands. It is as simple as that. The other, hands down, the other through line for season four, which is explored here, is of course the relationship between Bojack and Beatrice, and when that other shoe will finally drop. That is not done. In the click of a finger, in the one week later, one week earlier, <laughs> gag like every other one here. That is the one that all along we've been told to actually care about. Um, the the way, and you know, we talked about it in the review, the way those three stories are tied up so flippantly compared to the the big and actual important plot um, in this episode. I thought was quite neat because although we always know that these seasons run twelve episodes. Season 10 is a kind of finale before the finale, isn't it? Because we know what has to follow an episode 10 of A Bojack Horseman. Yeah, sorry, not season 10. Yeah, um, you wouldn't want to have to put up with me doing this for that long. <laughs> but like an episode, an episode 10 is always a finale before the finale because of what we know is to come in episode 11. So it's always quite important that you deal with those loose ends. Uh, and it turned out all of them were, apart from the very, very serious one. It was nice how they were all brought together at the same time, I thought.
2: Yeah, it was brilliantly done. Um, you know what? It's funny because you could call it lazy. Someone could look at that and go, "Ah, oh, it's quite lazy." Like they've just tied them all up, and they've just they've, there's an obvious reason they need it to get these all finished before they move mm-hmm. to an episode eleven, which you know feels like it's going to be an impactful one. Usually, is in the in the seasons. But I would argue that they've done this brilliantly. It's a classic example of RBW and the gang. Uh, Raphael wax Waxberg, all just like taking something that would be normally like forbidden with another mm. show perhaps. Or even something the show does like every week, just wrap something up nice and neat. And just kind of spits in the face of it. Like yeah. you've invested time in this because we we know the, the drill. They need a B and C plot. They need to do that to fill this episode out. It has to. They're like a, for for most of the episodes in this show we need something else. So the kind of just jokingly prod out Hey, look, it's all been wrapped up in a week and you didn't get to see any of it. And that's the joke. Like we didn't get to see the performance from Todd's um, clown dentist, the Clintus. Yeah. We didn't get to see any of that. That would have been funny to watch, but you don't get it because you don't really need it. Like mm. the princess, the um, woodchuck stuff. Do you really want to see it go to the wire? No, you don't. We've already watched no. all of that with Mr. Peanut Butter. Literally, we've seen it all. We watched an episode where they were all underground for like no reason. We <laughs> put them on the ground. You know what I mean? We don't need to see it again. And they are the masters of taking the things that shouldn't really work, or maybe have to do, and just turn them into something good and something quite like quite funny, maybe.
1: Yeah, there's an elegance to it. I think, um, I think so. there is a real because none of them, none of those plots, the the macro plot, whether it be an election or Princess Carolyn's needing to get a deal, yeah. is kind of the distraction from something very important happening. That election gag is tremendous. But it ends telling you that Prince, uh, that Diane and peanut butter are getting nowhere because yep. they're not effectively communicating, and that's what matters. And that's what's mattered for a season is that they're still not effectively communicating. Princess Carolyn still can't get her company flying the way it needs to because she's forging signatures. Todd still can't find meaning. He can't find purpose because he's yep. had to take his clowns back to the woods. These were the very things that they set up at the very beginning, and the great big flashy coloured distractions were there to do just that all of them have landed exactly where they need to land from a narrative point of view, to revisit either in a big, deep episode 11 or a kind of closing of the season, episode 12.
2: I thought the most specifically notable one of these, of these and rightly so, and importantly so, is that we finished Woodchuck's narrative with, it didn't matter about Woodchuck, Woodchuck had nothing to do with mm. Woodchuck. Woodchuck was there, Jessica Biel was there. We closed that with Peanut Butter and with Diane and the biggest thing you can take away from all of this is that peanut butter is million miles away from being mm-hmm. on the same page as Diane. When he's basically saying, "I'm so glad we put the same level of effort into this," and it like you know what I mean. And everything mm-hmm. he did messed it up because he's a bloke in Hollywood. Of course he is. And everything Diane, Andy got credit for it. Everything yep. Diane did, she fixed everything. She made a difference, and she got no credit whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that is—it was a beautiful setup for me in terms of making something that was a quick gag really impactful and really meaningful. Again, as we said, they've done it with elegance. Well, Michael, we should expect no less from this show. And again, the one I've got this week is another great example of that. Now, you and I almost barked with delight when we realized this uh, on this watch through. Uh, something I haven't, haven't clocked in any of my previous watches. But... What does Raphael Bob Waksberg enjoy more than writing about a sad horse, Michael? He enjoys telling you things that are going to happen before you ever realise that they're going to happen and flying them in your face so arrogantly, so arrogantly that you'll be annoyed when you realise that you missed it this whole time. But of course, as we learn in this climax of this episode, the the whodunit of it all, if you will, that it's Beatrice has been Mm. goddamn putting the... chub chub be gone or whatever it is in Hollyhock's coffee all this time because she's a monster who deserves to look at that bin forever lol (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but for anybody who's paying attention Raphael was showing you this from the very beginning that Beatrice returned to Bojack's house because what happens when something changes in Bojack's house it changes in the opening credits and in the opening credits for every episode where Hollyhock and Beatrice have been in there is a scene in the kitchen where Beatrice gives Hollyhock the coffee in the oh, morning. Amazing. Yes, and brilliant. anybody who goes back and watches it, you will see it. Raphael Bob Waksberg, you evil genius. <laughs> he has literally shown you all what the punchline was going to be in this episode, and none of you picked up on it, because he's a genius, and we are all idiots. And that's the way the cookie crumbles when you watch <laughs> BoJack Horseman. But... That's our last thing. Those are all of the things I think we can humanly say about this episode. So before we go, let's just quickly plug everything that we normally plug, and then we'll let you get on your merry way. If you've enjoyed this podcast, or indeed you just want to tell us how much you hate it, or indeed you just got nothing else to do in lockdown, why not give us a follow on Twitter <laughs> or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Please do give us a like, give us a share, give us a follow, give us whatever you feel Like you want to give us basically, as we always say, we started this podcast and I continue to do so because we wanted to grow the community. We wanted more people to watch the show. We wanted to talk ourselves horse about this talking horse and we have a bloody good time doing it. I know Mm -hmm. we joke about it and I sometimes get sick of looking at your face on these video calls, but genuinely (laughs) (laughs) we have a great time. And I'd like to think you're all having a good time, too, because the show is that goddamn good. Um, And if you are and and you are enjoying it and want to let us know, you can also follow your hosts on this podcast. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamlet
1: at Michael hamphlet Again, to reiterate, you can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, on Spotify, where you can follow, on ACAS where you can subscribe, on Amazon Music, where you can, I don't know, get it delivered the next day if you order before seven o'clock on the night time. I'm not sure, but they'll get it to you really quickly and efficiently, I'm sure. Um, and I'm not paying enough tax for the privilege, but it's there and it's great. And <laughs> um, you can also find it on an ACAS streaming link that we'll put up on our Twitter account every Friday, like Clockwork, that's at Podcast Horseman. And um, you can listen to it even through the Twitter account if it makes you happy um And you can leave us feedback, and we would love it if you would. um get us a chart, gets us seen by people, gets us appearing in the search when you type BoJack Podcast if you're a new podcast provider. All that sort of good stuff that gets us spotted for your views, which is what Lottie De Schuer. And Lottie, feel, please feel free to uh, reach out to me at Michael Hamflip for butchering your name. Lottie De Schuer. I hope I pronounced that correctly. um But Lottie has left us a bit of feedback with the great title dot, dot, dot. Because it's a show about animals, Michael. With the uh, with the five stars, thank <laughs> you very much. A lot you said. I mean, you guys, I just love it. I'm a huge fan of the show and was delighted to find a podcast that talks only about the show. But I had never expected it to be so deep and thorough and made me love Bodak Horseman even more. Who knew? Two white dudes teaching me about the feminist powerhouse that this show really is. The controversy. It never shies away from the phenomenal acting, the brilliant dialogues. <laughs> Thank you. Do I get a star now? Yes, Lottie, absolutely you do from these two white dudes that, believe me, will never know enough about feminist powerhouses. Please educate us on that as well, at Podcast Awesome at your leisure. Uh, A star will be bringing its way to you on all these socials soon.
2: Yes, indeed it shall. And thank you for that review. Really, really nice to always get those words from people. And genuinely... Like I say, we do enjoy doing this, Uh, and yes, we are (laughs) just two little white idiots from from the (laughs) north of England, trying our best to navigate a show that is far more intelligent and far more forward thinking than we would ever hope to be. But we're trying, we're learning as we go along, like all of you, and we are always open for that conversation. And Lottie, I would like to point out that, you know, while we're here, we may as well have a bit of fun. There's your star. I know you were upset because you weren't getting one quite. That was a little. But Michael Hamflit, I should point out, the one to blame for all of this is, of course, Michael Hamflit. Because he has a system. He has the stars. And he chooses as and when they go. So if you've got a grape, <laughs> if you've got any more grapes to do with stars, at
1: Michael Hamflit. Please contact us at under the bus. Of- <laughs> please,
2: please contact our HR department at MichaelHRHamflit. Um, And he should get back to you about all star-related queries. Jokes apart, we're glad you finally got your star. If you haven't noticed yet, by the way, anybody who leaves a review, we are working our way through them in order. I hate to to burst the bubble, but we're working our way through them in order. It's not, we're taking favours from anybody. We don't have any preferences. Obviously, when the Twitter stars were happening, people were getting a couple there, here and there. But it is mostly just in order because there's that many of them. And we want everybody to get their star. So there you go. Um, but I'm glad you've got yours, Lottie. Anyway, enough rambling on from me. Let's take some words from our good friends over at Netflix for oh, next yeah. week's episode. We do indeed, I'm afraid. Now, as we always give you on this podcast, a warning. It is an episode 11 of Podcast Horseman and an episode 11 of BoJack Horseman for you to watch this week. We know it's going to be big. We know it's going to be brutal. We always say it. Remember, there's an episode 11. And for every episode 11, there's an episode 12. And we highly advise you to watch the next <laughs> one. Straight after. But this one is episode 11 of season four. And it is called Times Arrow. In 1963, young socialite Beatrice Sugarman meets the rebellious Butterscotch Horseman at her debutante party. Now, I know. I know what you're going to say, Michael. But she still deserves to be looking at that bin and I don't care what happens in this episode. <laughs> I, right? Am I right? Who knows? Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But if you want to find out the answer to that one, you will have to come back next week for what is undoubtedly going to be a time. Uh, just a time. A time's arrow as well. At that
1: It sounds like a bit of a punisher, so get your petals for armour and strap it.
2: Yes, please do. And I'm not going to try and match your music puns there. What I am going to do, though, is tell you that I have been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamphlet. And this has been Podcast Horseman.
1: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.